You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Simeon and, and Anna are two of my, um, I don't want to say favorite people in Scripture, but, but it's helpful to remember their story. So in the birth of Jesus Christ, the King, the dawn of a new day has come, and the light of God's kingdom is shining through. And so today we're going to talk about Anna. So pay attention, because Anna has an interesting story. She has a lot of detail about her life for it to only be three, three, uh, three verses in Scripture. So here's Anna, Luke 2, 36. <clears throat> there was also a prophetess. Say prophetess. Okay, let me stop there. See, this is how far we're going to go. Um, so a prophetess is a, is a female preacher. It's a female prophet, but prophetesses and prophets preach. They're not just foretellers, they're also forth-tellers. Um, Philip had four daughters who were prophetesses. Uh, I think there's no mistaking as to of all the things Luke could talk about that he wants us to know that Anna is a prophetess. She is one of ten prophetesses explicitly mentioned in both testaments and only one of six named prophetesses. She is a proclaimer of gospel. And in this particular case, she's a proclaimer of hope, of messianic hope. She's a preacher. She doesn't just tell the future. She tells the truth. That's the role of a prophet. Always has been, always will be. And I think it's explicit, I think it's purposeful that Luke wants us to know that so we don't miss the part of the story. So, verse 36. There was also a prophetess, Anna, a daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was well along in years. That's uh, Luke's very gentlemanly way of saying, she old, y'all. She old. (laughs) She was aged. Um, She was well along in years, having lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and was a widow for 84 years. She did not live, right? She did not, somebody's like, wow, it's a long time to be single ladies. Uh, <laughs> now all of a sudden that song's in my head. Is that, is that the case of some of y'all? Like, all of a sudden Beyonce appeared in my sermon. I have no idea what to do with that. All right, and so I can't see Anna singing that song, her and two other prophetesses. Um, hold on, let's, let's cleanse ourselves. She was a widow for 84 years. She did not leave the temple complex, serving God night and day with fasting and prayers. And so here's the thing. Anna's life is predictable. And it's in the second chapter, in the second chapter that, 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 that Luke describes her as an aged female prophet of God. And she is, interestingly enough, the only named female prophet in the entire New Testament. So of all the female prophetesses that did work for God, this is the one that get, you know, she makes the cut, right? And so Luke takes the time to tell us that she was married to her husband for how long? Seven years, and then he died, right? So he tells us then that she was a widow for how long? 84 years. So again, think about the detail Luke's given. He could have just said, there's a prophetess named Anna, and she encountered Jesus, right? Preached about this Messiah. But, but Luke wants us to know the details. She was married seven years. Widowed for 84 years. So if we keep in line Jewish tradition, and we can safely assume that she was married at age 14. She was married for seven years. She was widowed at the age of 21. 
and she gave her life, given her tribal connections, giving her lineage. She dedicated her life, not to find a kinsman redeemer type. We don't know if the husband, late husband had brothers or whatever. She dedicated her life to serve in the temple, but not to serve as just anybody, but to serve as a prophetess. So Luke wants us to know that she is a positioned woman in the Jewish tradition. And we can reasonably imagine that Anna is probably about 105 years old, if you do the math. And though her life is in many ways unusual, uh, her life is also very ordinary. Her days are steeped in a routine of devout obedience. What does the scripture say? Day and night she what? She baths and prays. So she wakes up, guess what you go? What you doing today, Anna? Praying. What you doing around lunch? Praying. What you doing, what you doing tomorrow? Fasting and praying. What are you doing Friday? Praying. What are you doing next week? You get my point. This is her life. Every day. Fasting and praying. And preaching. And proclaiming. Fasting and praying and preaching and proclaiming. Fasting and praying. That's her primary ministry. No doubt what she prays about daily and nightly is for the redemption of Israel. She's living in the waiting. She's praying for the advent, for the glory of God's kingdom to come, for the Messiah to raise up. That's what prophetesses and prophets would have prayed. So most likely, Anna devoted herself solely to God when she was widowed some 84 years ago. So for 84 years, Anna's days have been marked by a devout routine of morning, noon, and evening prayers while strolling the temple complex every day for 30,660 days. I've always been intrigued by Anna. I'm equally intrigued by Luke's description of her, both in her life and ministry. She's a two to three verse character tucked away in this much larger story, yet she gains much attention through Luke's detail. He doesn't let us pass her by. And so I imagine her strolling along the temple complex in prayer every day for 30,660 days. This is her prophetic ministry. She's not the one called out to preach to the, to, the, to the nations. Like her prophetic ministry is to stay put and pray day in, day out. That's her faithful service to the Lord. This is her deeply devout routine. I don't know about you, but her days, to me, seem what we would call boring. Like more of the same. Ordinary. And so for today, in Anna's story, today is like every other day. Just ordinary. Do you know those kind of days? Those kind of boring, ordinary, mundane, getting up and doing it all again today. Do you go to bed sometimes knowing that you're going to wake up and do the same thing tomorrow? And what she thought was going to be this ordinary day, more of the same, led to her life being irreversibly changed what Anna did not know and maybe she did 
was that approximately 18 months and eight days ago, something incredible happened. God spoke for the first time in 400 years to Zechariah. I mean, she, I would imagine she heard about it. It was a rumor. You know, Zechariah goes into his routine. It's his turn to go into the sanctuary to offer the offerings to God, and then boom, he has an encounter with an angel and then comes out, you know, can't speak. His life changes. But today, in this story, she meets the one she has prayed for every day, day in and day out. Her devout religious obedience in all of its ordinariness, in all of its mundaneness. I doubt people were subscribing to her podcast, you know what I'm saying? Like, I doubt she was the one that she went to go fetch out for the prayer. Like, she's just doing her thing. This day, she meets the one that she has prayed for. And here's what I love about the story. Luke tells us that before we meet Anna, Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple for his dedication, which is their act of worship before God, and they meet Simeon, another aged prophet, who at the very sight of Jesus takes him up in his arms and praises God. So there's another aged prophet who is doing his every ordinary day, like his every other day kind of thing, his, his ordinary mundane routine, and he's the one who gets to hold Jesus. And so he, in I would imagine Lion King-like fashion, holds Jesus up, and the circle of life begins to play and, and everybody, and, and Anna knows, Anna knows. She's like, what's all that commotion? And here's the thing. If Anna was just doing her ordinary, boring thing, she'd have been like, oh, Simeon's got another baby. Isn't that cute? And she'd have moved on. But there was something in the preparation of her ordinariness. The fact that her religious obedience was just ordinary. Not extraordinary, ordinary. Just simple. That somehow, when Jesus shows up in baby-like form... She has an attentiveness to see what's happening. And at that very moment, she came up and began to thank God and to speak about him, Christ, to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. At that point, she begins to preach. Look at what it says to, to all those who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She begins to preach Jesus, a baby. She points to a baby and says, this is the king, y'all. And that's what I love about the story, is that it was in the ordinary routine of Anna's ordinary day that God enters in and utterly changes her life. And I think that's the beauty of her story. Yet sadly, it's the beauty of Anna's story that often becomes the problem of many of our own. We do not see the possibility in the ordinary. We do not always see the potential in the ordinary. Instead, we're overcome with boredom. And feelings of meaninglessness. And we allow these feelings to direct our eyes inward. And we become preoccupied with what we think would be or could be or should be more exciting than the life we currently live. We live every day through the week for the weekend. Or we live 360 days for the five-day vacation. And we are in such a hurry to get through the day. And we're looking for the shiny and the big and the grandiose and the loud. And we, we come to a worship gathering and, and are looking for, for music to give us a spiritual pep rally. For a sermon that sounds, that, that, that entertains us while also gives us meaningful, applicable things that we can take back to our lives. And we forget that it's sometimes in the boring, in the ordinary, in the mundane let me say this, it's always in the boring and the mundane and the ordinary 
that God can be found. Matter of fact, I would argue that it is explicitly in the boring and the mundane and the ordinary that God is found. Read your Bibles. Wherever you want to start, whether it's with the people like Moses, who was a nobody, Abram, who was a nobody, David, who we know was a nobody, or Jesus, who really was a nobody, or whether it's in the moments of ordinariness, Moses taking a walk one day and finding a burning bush, that God has found. I feel like we've been slowly seduced by the lie that God responds on demand and does so most often in the big and loud as if God's our employee to whom we get to make demands. But God is rarely found in the big and loud. The ways of God can't be managed or controlled. And they're often ordinary and subtle. The ways of God are almost never found in the shouts of a crowd and almost always found in whispered prayers. We want God to do a big thing while he's planning to do a small thing. We want God to do a loud thing while he's planning to do a subtle thing. We want to find God in the extraordinary while he's almost always in the ordinary. We're impressed with the big and loud and extraordinary. God is not. We're anxious. God is not. We're in a hurry. God is not. We want the big room filled with lots of people. We want the big numbers. We want the big things. And yet, as if God only shows up in like a quantity of big. Yet he changed the world with 12. Ordinary people. And of all the ways for him to reveal himself to humanity, he puts on an ordinary brown-skinned Jewish body of a man that the prophets would say would just look very ordinary, born of a family that is ordinary, yes, of extraordinary circumstances, but of ordinary background. And here's the problem, I think. When I start thinking that I have to get God's attention, that I have to place these expectations on God to do the big and the loud and the shiny, then what I find about me, I don't know about you, is that my attention is oftentimes then turned toward hurry, anxiety, anger, or focused on the crisis at hand or the fear I feel. And when that happens, I become deaf and blind to what God's actually doing in the moment. I'm so busy looking out there for God to move that I don't see him moving right here. I'm waiting for him to show up in a moment, in a spiritual pep rally like grandiose moment, and forget that he is literally with me at work in the ordinary in the ordinary bread and the ordinary wine. In the ordinary. Think about it like this. When God arrived into human history as a Christ child, it wasn't the scribes and the priests or the professional experts of the Hebrew Bible that discerned his arrival, was it? Who was it? It wasn't the Jewish political and religious leaders who discerned his arrival. Who was it? It was pagan, you ready for this? Pagan foreigners and peasant shepherds. Come on now, let that sit. It was pagan foreigners and peasant shepherds that discerned the arrival of God. 
They were not insiders. They were not experts. They were not enjoying the center of society. They were quiet people living ordinary lives on the margins of an ordinary society. It has been said that if we want to see how God works in the ordinary and how special the ordinary is to him, then we need to do nothing less but open up the scriptures and see that God's always revealing himself in the ordinary, that what we actually call ordinary is actually very special to God. Waiting for God to act really only feels like waiting. Because God's always acting. I want, I want to be clear with that. My reading of scripture is that waiting for God to act only feels like waiting. Because God is always, always acting. God is always moving, always doing, because he's always loving, always searching, always wanting to show himself strong. Waiting for God to act and show himself strong is actually waiting for my inner being to simply become quiet and still enough to discern what God is doing in the ordinary corners, far from the places of power or wherever we think the action is. God's at work in your homes, man. He's at work in the streets. He's at work in the car when you're in the shower. He's at work in all these, he is at work in all these places with you. We're just looking for him in the big. And he's always in the small, too. And the thing is, if we don't get familiar with him in the small, we'll never really see him in the big. I had a providential encounter with this man named Paolo. I've told this story only really twice because it's only two years old, and I haven't told it in a minute, and I wanted to tell it today because I think about Paolo all the time. We, he and I are Instagram friends because that's where real friendships are forged social media. Um, Paolo was a man who visited a worship gathering one random Sunday, and I only recognized him because he was wearing a yellow vest. He looked like a dude working at VDOT, and he just kind of came in, he sat down, and stuck out with that yellow, I mean, bright yellow vest, um, and he left after the service, and I didn't get a chance to try to say hey to him, and you guys know, but I mean, I try to catch people if I can. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, so that week, I went to Aromas, like I used to do um, before uh, London Company Coffee and Tea, uh, which is some of the best coffee in town, um, showed up to Williamsburg. That's London Company Coffee and Tea. Um, so uh, <laughs> that was pathetic, I admit. Um, so so I, I, would, I would go there, and I still go. I like Aromas. So I would go to Aromas, and I had an appointment, and I was, I was meeting somebody at Aromas. And sure enough, I saw, I saw that man. I saw Paolo. I didn't know who he was. I saw him at the register, and I thought, hey, that's the dude that, uh, that visited Sunday. And so I was like, I should go say hey. But I was in a moment. Like, I was in a moment with this person I'm with, and I'm like, he's about to check out, and I'm in a moment. And, but something inside me, man, something inside. I didn't hear this voice. The touch by an angel lady didn't show up. Like nothing, you know, nothing happened. There was no glow. I just felt, I just felt a little something inside of me that said, you need to go say hey to this guy. And so I asked the person I was with, I said, can I go talk to this guy? He was there Sunday, I didn't see him, I want to talk to him. He was like, cool. So I went and I said, hey, man, you were at Williamsburg Christian Church Sunday? And he goes, yeah, yeah, you're the pastor. And I said, yeah. And he immediately says, I need to talk to you right now. And I was like, no. Like in my head, I'm like, I'm with a dude. I'm just trying to say hey. 
And he was urgent. There was a sense of urgency. And he had broken English, very broken English. And it took all he could do to get that out. And I was like, right now? And he said, right now. I said, brother, I can't today. That's what I said. I said, I can't today. I mean, I had like appointments all day. But then something inside me said, you got to reboot. And I was like, all right. So I said, I'll tell you what. Give me an hour and a half, and I'll meet you back here. So I finished up my appointment early, made some calls, shifted appointments around, canceled appointments for the afternoon, and I showed back up to Aromas where Paolo was sitting. And so I was like, what's the, tell me what's, what's, what's going on. And with all of his broken English, I mean, barely speaking English, I know, like, hardly no words in Spanish. Um, and, and I'm, we're trying to communicate and, and we're getting there. And I'm like, tell me about your journey. And he begins to tell me how he lives in Chile and he's a successful businessman and he was engaged to a woman and she betrayed him. And so he left Chile to come to, US of a, to USA to stay with his uncle and aunt just to escape and to get a break. And he's just been running and crying and asking God to just hear him, asking God to see him. He was begging God to see him. And yet there we are at Aromas, he says. And I felt like when you showed up, that was God saying, I see you. And I don't know what I need to tell you, but I feel like I need to tell you that. That was the gist of the conversation. And so as I began to hear his story, and he said, you know, I, I don't know, I, I believe in Jesus, but I struggle to believe in Jesus. And I was like, well, tell me about that. And he told me that, and I said, well, have you, been, have you received baptism? He said, I've never received baptism. I looked at him and said, you don't need a new girlfriend, and you don't need a new career. You need baptism. You need Jesus. And he said, okay. And so I called Dave, and I called Garrett, and I asked him to meet me. I guess Garrett took that picture. Um, either that or an angel did. I don't know where, like, I didn't even see that picture. It's not like we were, you know, these things are always sketchy to me. It's like, and so we paused for a moment to show you all that we were talking about Jesus. Um, so we're talking about Jesus, and I pull up Romans 6 in Spanish on my phone, and he begins to read it, and we begin to talk. And he says to me, as we read this, and he's reading it aloud in Spanish, he begins to cry. And at the end of reading Romans 6, he says to me, this is what God needed to tell me. I need to get baptized. I need to commit fully to Jesus. And so we baptize Paolo. Now I find out, if you remember, y'all hear that Sunday Paolo spoke and we had Ruth interpret? So I found out that, that Sunday that he was not only a successful man in Chile, he told me he ran and he owned an advertising firm. And I was like, well, who are some of your clients? He goes, have you ever heard of Nike? And I'm like, no, who's Nike? <laughs> but that he was also the chief communications director for the president of Chile. Yeah, it's on his Instagram page. And you know, everything on Instagram is true. <laughs> but we're talking and he's telling me all this and he's on fire. And he tells me, I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. Starting with the president, all the way to my partner, and everything in between. Well, he changed the name of his company to Faith Brothers. Got involved in a local church. 
And just this week, I asked him if he would make a little video to say hello to everybody and give, him a little, give you a little catch-up as to where he is in life. Now, he apologized 17 times over about his broken English. I think he does a fine job. Um, but you're going to have to pay attention and follow what he says, and I'll, I'll kind of plug along. Hi, Fred. Hi, church. Uh, my name is Pablo. I am a son of God. <laughs> and I have a little story for you. Uh, I met Fred two years ago after my life was destroyed because of an emotional breakdown um, with my ex-girlfriend. Uh, we were going to marry. It was very hard because um, for the what uh, it meant uh, to be betrayed by another person that one loves, it, it's hard. Uh, sorry for my English. I told you, Fred, <laughs> I need a translate person. <laughs> okay, I continue. Um, after that, I traveled to United States and stayed with Aaron and Susan Webster, my Williamsburg family. Uh, the only thing that I did was run to, to nothing throughout the street of Williamsburg. And after crying and praying, uh, to God to speak to me, but mainly to look at me. Just in, in this time, just um, tell to God, please look at me. Please look um, at me. I had an encounter with Fred. He can summarize how, uh, how it was uh, we talk it. Uh, but I was uh, supernatural. Um, that day, uh, he told me to speak very little about myself, uh, that I don't need business, a woman, a new trip. What I need is a uh, baptism myself. Uh, and I know that Jesus died for me and believing in him, in God, the Holy Spirit. And uh, that, uh, to this day, I don't stop sharing uh, this story uh, that God brought uh, with all those who crossed me. Uh, even on the plane on my way to Chile, um, God used me to share with other person who are still on the way. This person uh, lived, uh, Way to Jesus. Yeah. It's okay. <laughs> okay. Um, currently, uh, I'm still working in my business. Uh, I have a trade marketing advertising agency with focus in, in, in sustainability. sustainability. But with a very clear thing, everything is for the glory of God. I participate in, in my church. It's a little church, <laughs> which is. Um, Really, it's little, but loves with a sincere heart of God. I hope to see you soon, Fred, and people of the church. I remember you with love because Listen. you were part of me, of, my, of what, um, what day of market um, my life, my weather baptism in in this Williamsburg church. Really, it's, a, it's great for me. 
God bless you. Um, and I hope to see you again. Thank you. You are a part of me. This man came on a spiritual pilgrimage to escape his hurt and his suffering. And he realized he couldn't run from God. And God met him at a coffee shop on one of my ordinary days. And in one of his ordinary days, the Spirit of God was speaking. It just happened to be a day that I wasn't a hard head. He prayed in his car for two hours, weeping outside of aromas for God to see him. And the timing of him to walk in for a cup of coffee for me to be there is nothing less than providential. Nothing less than God's pursuit of a man who's trying to find God. Who come to find out God was with him the whole time. These are the kind of stories that I used to read about in Chicken Soup for the Soul. And I've discovered in my journey, and I've got more stories similar. And I only say that to say, I have discovered in my journey that it's in the ordinary. That God does the extraordinary. But if we're always looking for God in the extraordinary, we actually could miss God altogether. Not to say that he won't pursue us all the way from Chile to Williamsburg, Virginia. But I am saying if God gives us a story like Palos to receive, why, why put ourselves in a position where God has to do that? Why not just learn how to be attentive to the everyday ordinary of our lives? Trust that God's at work in every person we meet. That God's at work in every breath that I breathe. Because here's the thing, you're not going to feel it. You realize that, right? You're not going to feel it, which is why faith isn't a feeling. Faith is a decision of loyalty. It's trusting and choosing when we see him or not. Trusting and choosing that he's always present, always at work. And if you needed a real story to see that, I wanted to share with you Palos because I needed you to know I'm not making junk up. This happens today. Let's stop looking for the big spiritual pep rallies, thinking we're going to find God in big worship music and great preaching. And start realizing we'll find him in the ordinary. Growing up, there was a mentor in my life. His name was Denny Trotter. He's one of the wisest men I knew. Taught me all about the Holy Spirit. Taught me more about God than anybody in my life. And when he would preach, I looked forward to it so much. But he was boring. I mean, painfully drab and boring. He was 80 years old, stood in the same place, slouched over with this very slow southern drawl. Boring. But I loved it. Because I knew what I wished every other person who would hear him knew. Is that it's not the performance of the sermon. It's the words that the person gives that makes the sermon what it is. Every word he spoke dripped with power. And you know how I know this? Because before I left, before he died, just as he died, I inherited all of his sermons. And I would read them over and over again and remember the 
power at work in that man's extraordinarily ordinary preaching. God is at work in the ordinary if we would stop looking for the show. And if we would stop mistaking frantic, busy activity for purposeful living and start realizing that it's in the ordinary that Christ is found. And like we've said, it doesn't get much more ordinary than bread and wine, does it? I mean, in Jesus' day, this is the most ordinary thing he could have possibly said. And he's yet in the ordinariness of the bread and the wine that Jesus says to his followers, I am found here. Read it. It's in the text. I am found in the bread that is my body and in the cup that is my blood. I am found in the ordinary. And so think with me for a moment how strange it is that we live a good bit of our Christian lives looking for God in the extraordinary, yet gather every Sunday to find him in the ordinary, and then leave here experiencing him in the ordinary, looking for him again in the extraordinary. It's a strange little seduction we find ourselves falling into, isn't it? Brothers and sisters, just as God was with Anna every day in all of her prayers and her fasting, and then shows himself in a particular way to her that changes her everything. God is with us every day in our prayers and our fasting. And if we are living our lives in that devout, sort of ordinary obedience, we will not miss when God moves in an extraordinary way. You're listening to the podcast of Williamsburg Christian Church, a community of faith joining God's pursuit of restoring lives. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast.